Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Four Press Podcast presented by GolfWeek.com. I'm your host, David Dusek, and this week my guest is GolfWeek, GolfWeek.com, as well as USA Today Sports senior writer Adam Shupak. And in the podcast you're about to hear, Adam and I discuss the fallout of last week's riots, the storming of the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., on Trump-owned golf properties, and how the PG of America and the RNA are now distancing themselves and their tournaments from Donald Trump and the Trump Organization. We also talk at length about Justin Thomas, who was heard last week on Saturday, uttering a homophobic slur after missing a short putt at the Century Tournament of Champions. And not to be forgotten, we discuss Harris English's win at Kapalua and whether or not we'd rather play the plantation course or the site of this week's PGA Tour event in Hawaii, Wildlife Country Club in Honolulu. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Featuring For the Winds, Steven Ruiz and Chris Corman. I know people are like just assuming that this is an upgrade at the quarterback position, but I don't think we could say that for a fact. I'd say it's, it's a downgrade. He never really had game-to-game impact just coming off the edge and destroying people that we thought when we saw his athleticism in college and at the combine. And- the Counter, diving deeper into the NFL with advanced stats, film study, and expert guests. This is The Counter. Listen and subscribe to The Counter on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And now I'd like to welcome back to the Four Press Podcast senior writer at GolfWeek, GolfWeek.com, as well as USA Today Sports, Adam Shupak. Shup, I'm wearing one of my favorite t-shirts today because I was really hoping that we would be able to have a conversation, light, fun. The guys in the white hats, my fighting St. Lawrence Saints, the Larrys from up in Canton, New York, were able to take two out of three against your Colgate Red Raiders in uh, in hockey. And um, I'm feeling pretty good about that right now. I'm not going to lie. It's been a long time since we tasted victory up in Canton. But uh, seeing as how there's only four teams in our conference this year, I don't really know if uh, I, it's something to be jumping up and down about at this point. Well, you've, you've, I think you've uh, already surpassed last year's win total, so you got that going for you. But uh, not a good, not a good weekend for the uh, Colgate Red Raiders. You guys made up for it in hoops, yes? Yeah, yeah, looking really good. We dominated a sweep of, of Boston University uh, at their building, and uh, you know they were the team that knocked us out of winning the Patriot League championship last year. So a bit of a of revenge there. So. All hoops right now. All hoops. All hoops. It's it's back to the O'Donnell foil days, which which we all look back on so fondly. Um, I was hoping to look back fondly on the very first week of 2021 when it comes to golf, because I was sure as hell ready to put everything 2020 um, out of my mind. I think obviously a lot of people were. Happy New Year, by the way. Very much belated at this point. But um, Kapaloo is always a funny event. 
but current events and world events took precedent, obviously, over the course of this week, Shoop, and, and it was unfortunate for so many reasons, uh, ridiculous for so many reasons, and it has trickled into the golf world, and as we're recording this on Monday morning, obviously, the news broke out late last night that the PGA of America has pulled the 2022 PGA Championship from Trump Bedminster um, late at night. It was basically announced, um, and the announcement came from the PGA of America. The PGA of America Board of Directors voted tonight to exercise the right to terminate the agreement to play the 2022 PGA Championship Trump Bedminster uh, from a tweet from Jim Richardson, PGA of America president. A statement from the Trump Organization shortly followed that that came out basically saying, quote, we've had a beautiful partnership with the PGA of America now, incredibly disappointed with their decision. This is a breach of a binding contract, and they have no right to terminate the agreement. As an organization, we have invested many, many millions of dollars in the 2022 PGA Championship at Trump National Golf Club, Bedminster. We will continue to promote the game on every level and remain focused on operating the finest golf courses anywhere in the world. Um, Based on the tragic events that happened at the Capitol last week, how surprised are you that Number one, that this has happened in the first place, that the PGA Championship is moving. And how surprised are you that it happened this quickly? I mean, I think it's been a time bomb waiting to go off. And and I'm really I'm pleased that the PGA of America did respond so quickly. I I, got to say, you know, power of the pen. I think the column that that was written by our very own Eamon Lynch had a had a lot to do with with uh, with what happened with the PGA acting so quickly, I think. I think they probably were going to wait till after the, um, you know, after Biden took office to uh, to do something. I think this has been discussed for a long time. I mean, it goes back to, the, you know, having the the U.S. Women's Open uh, there a few years ago when when that just you know that caused some some disruption and some some uh, unhappy feelings with LPGA players. But somehow the USGA stuck with it and and you know they didn't want to pay any penalty costs to move a tournament. And, you know, this, this has been just waiting, you know, it's been on that. I, I, it goes back to, you know, they put these majors out there six, 10, 12 years ahead of time. And, and the people that make the decisions aren't tend not to even be involved anymore with the organization when they get around to it. So, you know, I I still don't understand why they have to book these things so far out, but you know, anytime you're going to do something with, with Donald Trump, you're, uh, you're, you're, there are risks involved, and and I think uh, I'm I'm glad to see the golf world responding the way they have right now, especially the PGA of America, and and I mean, we're going to also talk about the RNA and what they've said. Yeah, yeah. Th- I mean, it's a little bit of Monday morning quarterback. How much do you think, looking back on it, the USGA stuck with the event that they held with the LPGA Tour players in the women's event because they feared repercussion or they feared um, Trump going on Twitter blasting the USGA, his followers, then blasting the USGA. And they just didn't want to feel that heat. You know, it was just a matter. Was it, do you think it was just a matter of, we, we know we're going to get criticized for holding this event, but it will be worse for us to move the event and feel the repercussions of that. I, I think you're, I think it has to do with that, but I, I think they should have moved that event. It, it really bothered me that they, that they played that one there. Um, you know, this, this you could you could just see things trending this way and and Donald Trump has just yeah. made he, he has done some good things for golf don't you know we can't forget about that but overall I think having him so tightly uh, 
his name and 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 all the golf that he's played as as, as during his presidency, having him so involved mm-hmm. with golf is probably not a good thing. And um, especially with the way things have gone lately, I think it's it's uh, the, the golf world has made a, a really good decision cutting ties. You know, there there's talk about where the um, WGC in Mexico could be played if they're unable to to hold that event in Mexico because of yeah. COVID, and and there was there were at least rumors going around that they could bring it to Miami to Trump. Well, that's not happening to Trump Doral. That's no not way. happening. Yep. Um, so you know it, it's going to be a long time before I think any golf professional golf is played at one of his golf courses. It was um, I think either 2002 or 2003. I, I forget when. Trump opened up, I believe it was his first golf course. He took over a property that was either abandoned or had been gone for sale up in Tuxedo, New York. So we're talking right on the southernmost portion of the Hudson Valley, maybe like an hour north of New York City, threw in a bucket load of money, dynamited a um, a hillside to expose this sheet of granite, if I'm not mistaken, this, and, and then, of course, put in a waterfall and um, made... One of the most tricked out, contrived golf courses I think still to this day I've ever played. I was there for media day. There were a couple other um, people there, maybe like 30 people. Trump was there. Um, and I remember vividly like him going around, working the crowd. And it was just this very odd day when Trump wasn't a golf guy. You could sort of see that like he was looking at this as an investment. I'm going to buy something on the cheap, turn it into something nice, turn it into a private club, sell memberships. And I'm like, okay, that makes some sense. And he's buying low and trying to to do some investing. Like, this is what development is about. And obviously, he has gone on to many, many more golf courses. But but I remember at the time he made a claim that was even then like the most outrageous thing, you know, I had heard and I've heard unfortunately a hell of a lot more outrageous things than this. That this is going to be the greatest golf course, I believe he said, in the Met section. And You've spent a lot of time up here in the tri-state area. We are blessed with way too many great golf courses. And I'm looking at this property. I'm like, you know what? There are no windmills at Shinnecock. There are none <laughs> right. of these hit it through the clown's nose at Wingfoot or Baltusrol or Somerset Hills or any, you know, pick any number of 20 places. But just the audacity of the whole thing was just like, I'm just sitting here shaking my head, listening to him work over the golf writers you know, from the Met section, and they're all lapping it up. Oh, this isn't, isn't this great? Let's go play our free golf. And you know, you say something. Yeah, it's it's been good that he's opened up courses and he's done some things. But now, in some ways, those golf courses, in my opinion, almost become toxic. I mean, if you're a person who's got the means to belong to a Trump golf club, what does it say about you that you in 2021 then go and apply for membership or that you look for membership? You you all of a sudden start to associate yourself and your dollars, your affluence with that, with everything that we saw. And to me, it's just, it's one of these things where he's been so much about branding, so much about making sure that everything associated with the word and the name Trump is thought to be the best of the highest quality. You know, this is the, the absolute best you can be the pinnacle that, that, as far as the in the golf world, it's trashed, isn't it? I mean, like you can't associate yourself anymore if you're a big company with any of his golf clubs, can you? I don't think so. And and you know, I'm I'm saying I'm giving credit to the golf industry and the and the PGA of America, but they really should have done this four years ago. I mean, he made very you know so many comments, but you know, going back to demeaning people, Latino American people. 
the comments he made about Mexico. Uh, that that is when this should this decision should have been made. It's just been this ticking time bomb ever since. And uh, you know, I, I just think this is it was way overdue. And you you could you know if if you could have put money on the fact that uh, that they wouldn't hold this one if they would have taken a bet, I would I would have put money on it because it just seemed unlikely to ever happen. And you know, the RNA to their credit, they they never got into bed with Trump. They said they they said it in this you know classically British way of, uh, uh, you know, oh, we just haven't uh, made a decision yet. They're still on <laughs> the road, but we're not going to, we haven't considered them. They just, they did it in such a beautiful ma- fashion, but more or less said, we're not going to get in bed with this guy until he's out of office. And and they look the best of anybody right now. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's, um they played the waiting game on that. There was, you know, no feeling obviously from them that they were going to anytime soon. Um get an association, go back to Turnberry. And then as of this morning, we know Turnberry is going to be shelved for a long time. The quote that came out this morning from Martin Slumbers is, um, we have no plans to stage any of our championships at Turnberry and will not do so in the foreseeable future. We will not return until we are convinced that the focus will be on the championship, the players and the course itself. And we do not believe that is achievable in the current circumstances. Um, I'm not wishing ill or sickness or death on anybody. I don't see as long as Donald Trump is alive, them coming back to Turnberry for anything. I don't see any circumstance where they're going to do that. Um, he's in well, there is 70s. one. There yeah, is I'm one. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. The, the one would be if he sells it. Well, yes. Okay. That, absolutely. You're right. I mean, if he's, if he sells Turnberry and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this would be like, please, can we all pass the hat and get this thing out of there? Um, then they would go back, but there's no way any, any major championship is held at a Trump property. I don't think while he's alive. And again, like I'm not sitting here wishing ill or anything on, on anybody, but however long that's going to be, there's no way. Do you think that, that, that anybody goes to any of his properties and holds any significant tournament. Right. Well, these are the two most significant uh, courses, I think, in his portfolio. And, and if they're not going to Turnberry, and now it sounds like nobody would would uh, tread on going back to Bedminster, I, I don't think the USGA is going back there. So, yeah, I agree with you. It's going to be a long time coming. It's In some ways, it's it's doubly bad. And this is, you know, sort of a first world problem. Turnberry is great. Golf is, golf's history at Turnberry, some of the most memorable occasions at open championships, you know, the, the, the duel between Tom Watson and Jack Nicholas is something that we should be able to relive and rejoice and, and, and remember, uh, commemorate on a very annual basis, like on, on a regular basis. And we're not going to do that unless you go back onto some golf channel highlights or check it out on YouTube, which if you haven't, you know, seen the battle in the sun, like that, that's as good as golf gets right there. You know, that's as good as it gets. Um, We've had some of that stuff, and we're going to be denied that for, it sort of seems like, the foreseeable future. Turning back to the PGA Championship, we know now it's not going to be a Trump-Edminster. It sounds like Southern Hills and Tulsa, uh, possibly Liberty National, Jersey City. I'm hearing a little bit maybe Valhalla in Louisville, Kentucky. Where would you like to see this tournament go? Where do you think it, it might go? Yeah, I think you've named some of the top contenders. I have heard that there are uh, there are courses just calling up the PGA of America and saying, you know, pick me, pick me. And, and basically saying we'd, we'd love mm-hmm. to host <laughs> the PGA championship, which is not all that, all that surprising, but, but still kind of funny that everybody's yeah. just, you know, they, it, they're like vultures out there. Um, 
And but yeah, where would I like to see it go? I think I think a lot of it depends on, you know, if they could do it without the if if we're going to still be in this COVID era where it's going to be limited fans, boy, I would love to see the pros play at Bandon and for the weather to get get funky and stuff. But if you're going to have to have it at a, a major championship venue in today's modern world, um, boy, off the top of my head, I, I do think Southern Hills coming off um, a renovation by Gil Hance, um, I think does make a lot of sense since they, they had promised that course a major for a long time. They were kind of in this fluctuating period where they said they'd do it by a certain, I think it was 2020, 20, 2030. Um, so I, but I think Mm -hmm. they've been slotted in and now, and, and maybe they just move them up. Um, yeah, I, I, that's a good question. I could, I also feel like what I would like to see them do if I feel like there won't be a lot of fans this year at Kiowa Island, they're not going to go crazy. Why can't, why couldn't, why couldn't you push that one back a year and just, and do it somewhere that maybe you never would be able to have a major at? Um, one of maybe one of the great private clubs. Um, I don't know about I don't know if Pine Valley, uh, because they only have me- male members. Yeah. If that if if they would be available, but there are some there are some great private clubs that I would love to see the pros play a major on. Um, you know, oh, here's mm-hmm. the one that's very close and dear to my heart. I worked at Quaker Ridge, great golf club in the in the Med area. Oh goodness, they yeah. they, they don't have a driving range for the pros, but I think it's too short. I, I, I'm right there with you, Shoop. I, I would love to see it. I would worry that the pros would, I mean, that, that golf course stretched to the tips is about 7,000, which doesn't mean it's certainly not worthy. Um, that's a Tillinghast course for people that is right across the street, basically, from Winged Foot and is tremendous. They've held a Walker Cup there. I believe that was, the Walker Cup was in um, 96, maybe 97, 95, somewhere in there, 95 or 97. Yeah. And yeah, Justin it, Rose played on that one. Yeah. And I, I think Luke Donald may have been on that team, if I'm not mistaken as well. Um, or maybe it's Casey. I, I forget. At any rate, um, my fear is it might be a little bit short. I was, I, I love the idea of Bandon. I mean, that to me would be great. If you're going to have a significant number of spectators and Bandon is out because there's simply not hotels. There's not, I mean, people would be driving two, three hours, to get to that tournament each way. It's just the logistics do not work. And that's one of the appeals when you go there as a resort guest to it is that the isolation is part of the allure to it. What do you think about the idea of going to Pinehurst, but not necessarily playing on Pinehurst number two, maybe like going over to Pinehurst number four or doing something like that where you would split it up. I understand. And most people get the idea there are us open courses. They're PGA of America slash Ryder Cup slash PGA Championship courses. Do you think that that would even be entertained or is the Pinehurst Resort, like you you get where I'm going with this, that like Pinehurst is sort of under the dominion at this point of the USGA and that one wouldn't even be considered or shouldn't be considered? Anytime I get to go to Pinehurst, that that would be a a nice bonus. (laughs) (laughs) Love love me some Pinehurst. Uh, My... My thing with Southern Hills, and, and I think it would be great for them to get their turn, but so I don't know if you were at the PGA Championship at Southern Hills. Was that 2007? I believe, yeah, it had to be, I think, 2007. Um, Tiger Woods wins. I remember it was a great tournament. It was ripping hot that year. It was one of the hottest tournaments I think I've ever been right. to. Right, the move to May um, really helps Southern Hills. It opens up a lot of venues, doesn't it? it? It does. It makes it a lot better. The idea of going to Oklahoma in May rather than August. I got off. I had 
flight delays going to that tournament. I will never forget this. I landed in Tulsa, Oklahoma at like 1030 at night, got in the rental car and then drove to the media hotel, which was pretty close to the golf course. And it was like 1115 at night when I turned and I saw at at an intersection a bank that had this sort of revolving sign with the time and the temperature on it. And it said, you know, 11.16 p.m. And then it turned and it showed the temperature, 92 degrees. And I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. And um, I remember that week, John Daly was going to a casino. He didn't play a practice round, as I recall, before the tournament. Um, as a defending champion, he was in. And he shot a great round. I think he shot 66 or 67. He was He had a taste of the lead or was near the top of the leaderboard after the first round. People were like, oh, my God. He comes in. And they asked him, well, how, did, how what do you account this for? Like, where did this come from? He said, well, caffeine plus nicotine equals protein. So that's how I'm, I've been training. I was just like, oh, God, here we go. And obviously Tiger Woods wins. But I just remember how hot it was at Southern Hills. And that's, that's my lasting impression. I remember Tiger Woods coming out in a red mock turtleneck looking like Ronnie Lott. Just like, you know, I'm oblivious to the heat. I'm going to come out here and just torch all of you guys. And he did. And that was pretty much that. My final thought on that, Dusik, is, is, you know, whether there's a big lawsuit with Trump over this or or breach a contract or not, this is going to be a financial Mm -hmm. loss in some respect for the PGA because they've invested a lot of money in setting up that tournament. 2022 is not far Mm -hmm. away. So I could see them, if they're not going to go to Southern Hills, you mentioned Valhalla, which is a club that they that they own. And so I think that is a venue they've had success at that they would probably mm-hmm. financially be the most, the best deal for them to just host it there. So I feel like that's what they're doing. But if Kerry Haig or Seth Waugh is listening to this podcast, please think a little more outside the box. And uh, I think we've thrown out a couple of good yeah. ideas there. I, I, I think it's great. I, I think you could make a case. We just had a wonderful U S women's open at champions. Why not go back there? I think that that golf course could be sensational. Um, Even if you have to do a composite, they've got two golf courses there. Houston's a great golf market. Um, You know, there's there's all kinds of different things. If it's May, even going into Phoenix Scottsdale is totally doable. Um, I'm not saying that we need to have it at TPC uh, Scottsdale and and create you know the the craziness of the 16th hole, which we're going to be denied this year because of COVID. But but there's lots of different venues that all of a sudden with this date rather than the August date totally open up. Um, you know, we have a regular event that happens at PGA National in Palm Beach Gardens. So I don't love the idea of doing a PGA championship two months after having had the tournament there um, if the PGA Tour schedule remains. But you could do any number of, of different things. And yes, I 100% agree. I think that there are some leaders in the clubhouse, pardon the pun, but it'd be great to think, you know, of some other alternative venues and see this as an opportunity. Yeah, we're gonna have to stroke a check, tur- turn this into an opportunity, rather than um, have this be something that's detrimental. Because you know, we've got to do the right thing when it comes by this. And um, unfortunately, not doing the right thing by this. Justin Thomas on Saturday at Kapalua uttered a homophobic phrase, basically after missing a four-foot putt that he felt he should have made. It captured headlines rightfully for all the appropriate reasons um and for people who may not be aware um basically he misses a four foot putt um in the third round at kapalua the uh, century tournament of champions 
taps in for bogey and the golf uh, channel microphones picked up the thing that he uttered and it was not good. Uh, after his round, Justin Thomas was interviewed by golf channel. And he said the following, there's just no excuse. I'm an adult. I'm a grown man. There's absolutely no reason for me to say anything like that. It's terrible. It's extremely embarrassing. It's not who I am. It's not the kind of person that I am, but it's unfortunately I did it and I have to own up to it. And it's, I'm very apologetic. Like I said, it's inexcusable. I'm speechless. It's bad. There's no other way to put it. I need to do better. I need to do better. I, it's definitely a learning experience. I deeply apologize to anyone and everybody who I offended and I'll be better because of it. My question to you, I guess, is um, as one, Justin Thomas is one of the faces of the PGA Tour at this point. If you go to tournaments, when we could go to tournaments, when you look at different commercials and promotional stuff that's put out there on the PGA Tour, Justin Thomas is almost always one of the guys because he's thought to be one of the good guys on the PGA Tour. Um, how surprised are you that this came out? And what was your reaction to his owning up to it and his statement after the round? Yeah, I mean, this is where, you know, you know, just I think Justin Thomas was one of those players who said he didn't want to be miked at tournaments and and now we see why in part yeah. because, you know, these guys are they're so intense out there and I don't I don't want to make apologies for him, but if you know, if you put if you heard everything that I said when I'm when I'm playing, when I miss a putt or play, I'm not saying I say things like that, but I give him I you know, this wasn't meant in in a mean-spirited way, I'm not. I do feel like I'm starting to apologize. To for be him. <laughs> very clear, he's 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 saying this. Yeah, to be very clear, he's saying this to himself. He's not talking to anybody other than himself. To me, this was different than you know Scott Piercy putting something similar out derogatory statement out in a in a meme last year on social media. Mm -hmm. Where I don't know. I just think. I don't, I'm cutting Justin Thomas a little bit of slack. I think he handled it well after the round. I'm sure somebody from either the PGA Tour or his agent called him because it was it was starting to pop on social media as the round went mm -hmm. on. It wasn't something that really was – it was really kind of under his breath and you could hardly even pick it up. You had to be listening really carefully. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I do think he handled – I think his, he, he took it like a champ and, and, and said what needed to be said after the round. I think what really comes, what really matters is what he does now. What, what is, how did, what is he going to do to make himself a better person now? How does he learn from mm -hmm. this experience going forward? What are, what does he do? Uh, because, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if, if a sponsor says we, we're not, we can't, we can't be yeah. associated with you. And and he is one of the biggest players on the PGA tour right now. Um, a guy who's been number one in the world and won majors and, and really in the prime of his career and, you know, a lot of great things hoped for from him. So there are certainly companies from city to others that have, you know, polo that have latched on to him and, and have made him their face of, of their golf relationship. And uh, yep. so you know, I think I think he's he's got a lot to learn from this one, and um, I'm more interested in what he's going to do going forward. I think he handled it um, fairly well in the in the immediacy of it, and uh, I'll be interested to see what he does after in in the in, you know going forward. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate that he said that stuff. I'm I truly believe he regretted it. I think that he realized it as soon as the the words were out of his mouth and into his ears. He probably realized immediately it was wrong and regretted it. Um, I will be like you, I'll be really curious to see if there are any financial repercussions and any sponsorship, uh, repercussions from this. You mentioned polo Ralph Lauren for his apparel. He's a titleist foot joy guy city. 
Um, he's he's got a lot of different financial um, ties with different companies, and how do they want to be portrayed, and how do they want to associate? I think to some degree, unfortunately or fortunately, however you want to look at this, he's going to get a little cover from the Trump stuff. And I think this story would have been, this is what we would have led with in this conversation had the USG and the RNA not made the decisions they made. And that's obviously going to dominate a lot of the discussion. I think that he's, for from a Justin Thomas sake, getting cover from that. Um, yes and I no. With you. Yes and no on that one. Because yeah. th- this, might, this might end up being the most read story on Golf Week all year. Just uh, looking be. at what the, some Absolutely. of the traffic numbers. And, and I've yep. seen it. It, it, everybody, every golf site, even just general sports sites, uh, had stories up about this. It's it's really Rightfully it took a cast. life of uh, took on a life of its own, and um, you know, in this cancel culture that we've got going on, you know, yep. I, I think you're maybe you're right that the the fact that the Trump thing comes right on the tails of it um, makes it maybe go away a little bit more. But um, it was yeah. a really bad look. For, for him, for the for the PGA Tour, which has been pretty silent about what they think of it. I remember them putting out well, yeah, putting out a statement against what Scott Piercy did. I'm surprised they haven't. You know, they usually this will be conduct unbecoming of a professional, and he'll be fined, of course. But <laughs> yeah, but I would have yep. thought that they would have stepped up and and put out some sort of statement That's about. An this. Excellent point. No, because because when the Piercy stuff came out on social media, it was swift and from many different directions. And we're not seeing that here. And that speaks to what I think a lot of people feel about the character and the reputation that Justin Thomas has developed so far. And so, yeah, he's he's earned that. Um, and I, I think that to, to the point you made earlier, he's earned a level of the benefit of the doubt. Um, but I don't think going forward, he's earned that. If we get something like this again, a couple years down the line, you're establishing a pattern we're willing to say that he regrets it, made a mistake. How much of this gives us an insight into what's going on in his mind? Maybe the casualness of language like this that can be really hurtful to people is just something that's kicked around. Um, I'll be honest with you, and I want to get your your thought on this afterwards. I've watched a lot of practice rounds. I've heard a lot of golf in places where either there are microphones or there are not microphones and casual situations out there on the PGA Tour when guys are just amongst themselves and they're just doing their thing. I don't hear this kind of language on a regular basis, and I've tried to remember, and I don't recall anyone uttering anything like what Justin Thomas said in any round when I was present, which I think speaks positively to the PGA Tour. But but have you heard anything like that in sort of casual rounds or just sort of like when you're around events? Well, you know, I can think of one. I wasn't there to witness it, but a few years ago, Patrick Reed said the same derogatory slur. So it, it's mm-hmm. you know it's happened mm-hmm. before with the PGA Tour during you know. So is that a is that a are we have a trend here? Or this is what PGA Tour players think. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Just Justin Thomas, interestingly, is a guy who sometimes thinks about what he wants to say when he does something. You know, in the President's Cup last in uh, 2019, he had his love me some me uh, Terrell Owens moment when he when he made his birdie putt p- playing with Tiger. But I, I don't like again, I don't think that this was I don't even think you you think seem to think that as soon as he said it, he realized, oh, man, I shouldn't have done I shouldn't have said that. I don't think it even I don't even think he realized he said it. 
um, until probably somebody talked to him after the round. I, I just think it was one of those, he's mad at himself. Instead of saying, I'm such an mm-hmm. idiot, like the way Phil yep. would or, or somebody, yep. he just, you know, he went there and he shouldn't have. I, I just have a feeling that athletes, especially elite athletes, people who are heavily marketed, people who have done a lot of photo shoots for different companies and brands, people who are um, really should be at least attuned to language and perception and how we as the public, how sport fans, golf fans look at them. I think that they do know about this stuff. I think that they are very keen on it. I mean, remember Tiger um, has been a major influence on so many young players and they looked at how he before 2009 was portraying himself, the image that he was putting out there, the the different statements that he would make that were sort of, um, you know, not things that filled our notebooks, but but like, you know, all those kind of they, I think that guys are more attuned to things. Now, in this case, like I'm not Justin Thomas. I can't speak for him. My suspicion is that when that word comes out, if you're Justin Thomas and you walk out of your rental car, you have to assume that every shot you hit Every word you say is being recorded by somebody. Uh, you're just, you've reached that level. There are too many camera phones around, too many people now realize in, other, in, the, in the age of COVID, there are significantly fewer. But when you're playing within the tournament, there are people following his round who have a gigantic shotgun and parabolic mics that are looking to pick up sound. They're looking to pick up audio. He's hitting a putt in the third round and he's high up on the leaderboard. Everything is going to be recorded. You know, as soon as he hits that putt, as soon as it goes in and he mutters that word to himself, he's got to know that, oh, that was a mistake. That was bad. And I'm going to hear about that. And you can try and put on a poker face about it. I think you can try and be stoic and just hope that it didn't get picked up, that the producers went to, to another hole as soon as you tapped in to catch some more action. But I think you have to to almost know that somewhere someone heard that. And in this day and age, if that kind of thing happens, all of a sudden it explodes. I'll, I'll be curious to see what he does to make amends for this. Um, I agree that he'll get fined and should get fined a significant amount. I hope the PGA Tour comes out and makes a statement about this and in a positive way uses him as an example um, if there is such a thing. But I don't know, aside from tearing a couple checks, what Justin Thomas does and it's kind of the problem that I hope just throwing money at it doesn't isn't isn't considered solving it or being a good thing. I want to see actions on this rather than just here's money that a guy who probably clears twenty million a year can afford to write a check for six figures and he's deemed to have been absolved from this. I, I want to hold people more accountable than that, but I, I don't know, Shoop, what what what's fair to ask him to do be above and beyond that. Can you think of anything? I mean, I, I think I think it's probably just spending a little more time with people in that community and starting to recognize mm-hmm. them as as you know where what he said was offensive to to so many people and he needs to understand that a little better and and that's just that's just spend that's just time I I don't yeah again I don't want to see him write a check to some you know uh, charitable cause I want to see him make life changes and I and it sounded from what he said like I think he's on the right path and is thinking down the right direction of what he's going to do to to make amends we both like Justin Thomas we both are big fans of him as much as people in the media are there's a lot to like about Justin Thomas and hopefully when we're writing 
the biographies of him, this is certainly going to be included. It needs to be included. But hopefully this is not the start of a trend piece or significant multiple chapters in the book that will become his career and him as a person. And yeah, let's let's just sort of hope that this is something that he becomes a better person for having gone through and then moves on. Um, one person who had to move on um, without winning and without doing a whole lot as I struggle to make some kind of a transition right through there, Harris English. Let's talk about a winner. Let's talk about something good here for everyone. Jeez, God. Um, Harris English wins the Century Tournament of Champions in a playoff over Joaquin Neiman, uh, 31 years of age. She gets 25 under par, 267, by shooting 65, 67, 66, 69. Neiman shot a 64 on Sunday. Harris English figured out how to hit a pretty sweet-looking uh, draw. I, I think he took it right out of your playbook with that draw, didn't he? <laughs> that was um, exciting stuff on 17 and in the playoff. Yeah, uh, that, you know... He's been playing some great golf. I, I've written this line more than one time on, on Golf Week that you know he's done everything but win, and and so this was this was coming. He's been playing some great golf, and really, you know, it finally took uh, Justin Parsons and and uh, the pro at Sea Island and and the team that 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 English has behind him to to kind of get in his ear and say, look. Pick one guy. Pick. Let's stick with one thing because I mean I'm sure you saw it. Uh, it, he was playing, you know, uh, every every different every five or six weeks. He seemed to have a different coach, and for for a couple of years. And I think that was the big reason. That's mm-hmm. what I attribute to the seven years, almost I, almost eight years that uh, Harris had gone without a victory. I I was at the 2013 title that he won at Mayakoba. That he'd won two titles that year. Also went in in Memphis, and he he and uh. Rory at the time were the only guys, I think, under 30 with two victories, which is hard to believe these days with how many of these young guys are, are dominating. Yeah. And and yeah. and then he didn't win another one until now. And and that, that is a long drought. He he had to go back to Corn Ferry Tour finals um, after the 2018-19 season. But he finally stuck with, with just started listening to Justin Parsons, working with him, and, and kind of went back to what got him to being great to begin with. And I just think that he was trying too many different things. And he mentioned yesterday in his post round press conference that all it really took was one bad swing when he, you know, and he would all of a sudden he would unravel again. And, you know, it, it, it is hard to come back when you've been down on the PGA tour. Cause there's so many good players. And, you know, this is a bit reminding me a bit, a little bit of like a Steve Stricker where, you know, we saw a lot of ability and promise early, a lull and then and then goes kicks it up another notch and so Harris English I mean you forget he almost he was right there in the U.S. Open at wing foot had that lost his tee shot on the first hole and had to go back and and makes double bogey there um and then you know Bryson does what Bryson did but you know I think he's got major championship abilities now number 17 in the world and um it'd be interesting to see how he builds on this He, he talked about wanting to make a Ryder Cup team this year is being, you know, one of his primary goal, and uh, I think there are a lot of players that would like to play with someone with his abilities if if he were to make that team. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's um, it's it's funny you're sort of mentioning that stuff. It, it reminds me of that just to think about the depth of the talent, and when somebody either doubt or a little bit of an injury, whatever it happens to be, sneaks into a player's. 
there's not a lot of wiggle room and there's not a lot of space to keep yourself out there. He mentioned Todd Lewis is out there. Maybe I don't know if he's intentionally trying to elicit a couple of tears from an emotional winner at the time. This guy's standing there beside 18 or whatever. But it was understandably like an emotional time for Harris English. And he talked about that we're out here basically playing on one year contracts and winning a golf tournament not only, you know, gives acknowledgement to everything that you've done and, and sort of is the reward for putting in all the work that he and his team put in. And obviously it's been a lot, um, but it gives him a little bit of a sense that, you know, if you've got some doubt, it should be gone now. You've been able to, to win a golf tournament that had a really elite field on a very tricky, sneaky golf course to hit some shots down the stretch when you had to hit them. I'm surprised, honestly, maybe you were, that um, the putt for Eagle on 18 Sunday evening, that it was a little bit short, peeled it off, misses right. I thought for sure he makes that. I'm like, oh, how great would this be? Eagle to win after smoking that three iron, you know, with that draw, playing it off the hill. It was it was one of the best shots of the week. I was surprised that, but it's um it's just the depth of the talent and how fine a line it is between being a winner on the PGA tour, winning at these terms, contending the way he has, and but but feeling like you maybe don't belong out there, that you're not good enough, that why haven't you done it? And there's so many young guys, as you mentioned, coming up. It's it's got to be just like the more a nerve wracking aspect of the career that people don't really talk about. Um, you know, I, I mentioned like the young guys coming up. Obviously, we know Colin Morikawa won the PGA Championship last year. You know, he's he's just a kid. Um, I'm taking a look right now. Number 14, Victor Hovland. Number 15, Matthew Wolf. So all these young guys who are already ahead of Harris English, even with the win that moves him from. 29 in the world up to 17. It's just this nerve-wracking thing that we don't really consider a lot of times. I'd considered Harris English a firmly established, you know, veteran player. But clearly, Shoop, we we're not in the heads of these guys, and there's maybe just a lot more inherent anxiety than than they're giving off. There, there are only so many guys out there that really have that killer instinct. And and I think the fact that that Harris English missed that eagle putt. To me, it, it kind of shows me he's not one of those guys who's going to win in bunches. Or, or he, you know, he needed a little help from Joaquin Neiman to, you know, make a make a par. You know, he parted eighteen yeah. twice. Like as great as he played, shooting sixty four and stormed back to get into a playoff. Joaquin Neiman's probably still kicking himself. How did I make par on eighteen twice? You know, in the in regulation and then the playoff, he basically handed the tournament back to to Harris English and, and uh, you know, there aren't that many guys that just finish things off in style. I was really surprised that Colin Morikawa did not have a very good Sunday. I think he shot 73 after, you know, he had, he had, he had got himself into contention with a pair of 65s. And that's a guy who so far has looked like he knows how to close and win tournaments. And there's really maybe yeah. the first time I saw him struggle on a Sunday like that. And, I, I thought he was. I didn't. wasn't sure he was going to win it, but I thought he was going to be a factor at least, and he wasn't at all. Mm-hmm. And he and he kind of faded early. Whereas Harris English, who was the 54 hole co leader, and he was also paired with Ryan Palmer, another terrific golfer, excellent career. But the guy hasn't won an individual tournament since 2010, and you know at 44 he's got to be thinking, how many more times am I going to have a great chance like this? Yep. And and the two of them did nothing on the front nine. Uh, you know, Palmer makes the double on eleven that that sealed his fate. And while he he you know threw a, threw together some some late birdies 
Yeah, you know, these neither of them really like stepped on anyone's neck on Sunday and and ran away with this thing, which is yeah. something you'd like to see if 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 this is going to be a guy who's going to you know get get to the top echelon of the game. It's it's tougher it's tougher Ryan Palmer to step on anybody's neck when basically we're still passing the hat around the golf week office trying to buy him a putt. I mean, it's an elite ball striker and he has been for so long. But that I I putt as well as this guy. It's it's crazy and he's a he's a good guy, um, but. The putter is just as ice cold as it possibly gets. The the name that I was trying to come up with, and I finally came up with, Harris English and Brendan Todd. I mean, we saw the comeback from Brendan Todd over the last year or two. Multiple wins from Brendan is again. Um, yeah, it's. I think you hit it on the head to to sort of be a drift out there to be able to maintain your card. In Brendan Todd Todd's case, to to losing it, coming back into winning, his. You know, it's it's great. It's it's tremendously, tremendously difficult given the depth of the talent. Um, but that was the player that whenever I'm seeing him and whenever I see this interest now, it's um Brendan Todd, Harris English, good on you guys. Congratulations. Um now we move to this Both of yeah. those guys, both those guys, Deuce, are were revolving door, revolving it's, door of coaches. It's brutal. So so when was the last time you took a regular set of lessons, shoot? When was the last time you like you were a, a semi regular, whatever that defines like lesson taker? Man, I it's a, it's I really haven't done it since uh since I'm in high school. So I asked <laughs> so so when I first started working, so I was at Golf Magazine in starting in two thousand and two, the very beginning of two thousand and two is when I started. And I started writing instruction stories, which was great. I met a lot of great PG of America instructors, teachers from all over the country. It's fantastic. And, and invariably, even though I begged them not to, out of the goodness of their hearts, everybody wanted to give you, give me like a quick lesson. Like, hey, like even if you don't have your clubs, let's let's go out there and let's let's hit some balls. Let me see you swing. I'm like, oh, you don't want to see this mess. This is not. And you start hearing things from four, five, six, eight people over the course of two or three years who are all well-intended and maybe they're all talking the same thing, but using different terminology and your head becomes like tapioca. There is, my, my, I was, I finally got to be like, I thank you, but no thank you. Or I would go through the motions without paying attention because I knew if I'm listening to more than one instructor, then I, I'm just going to get more and more confused. And I got to believe this to some degree, it's the same thing with guys, even at the elite level. If you are getting instruction, even if it's really, really high quality, but you have so many different things swimming in your head, all of a sudden you're playing golf swing instead of playing golf. And that's hard to do. That's really hard to do. Yeah, I, I think it's best to stick with one set of eyes, somebody that you trust and believe in. When you start going around uh, multiple different coaches, I think exactly what you said, it becomes paralysis by analysis. And but at the same time, I'm kind of interested in this news that Jordan Spieth has gone to see see Butch Harmon. I was going to go there. Um, I like that. It sounds like he's staying with Cameron McCormick. And on and to be on, up front, I haven't mm-hmm. talked to either of them yet. I'd love to, you know, give them a call sometime this week and, and try to find out a little bit more about this. But if there's one guy you're going to go to, uh, Butch Harmon's got a pretty good track record of of helping some of the best players in the world. And it and he has stuck with McCormick and and it and it isn't really working right now. So I could see the frustration building mm-hmm. for for Jordan Spieth and um, trying to use some of the that downtime around the holidays to to get a second set of second set of eyes to look at things. Maybe 
I, I may sound like I'm contradicting myself here, but in that particular instance, I'm, I, I don't think it's the worst idea, but I don't, I also like the fact that it sounds like Cameron McCormick is still going to be involved and be his primary coach. I think this might've been a one-off or, you know, we don't know enough about it yet, but I, I like, I like the idea that he, he's well, going to butch of all people. And, uh, because we, you know, I, I think that, that in some instances, a second set of eyes could help. What I think ends up, and, and Butch is a savvy guy when it comes to relationships with players and coaches, as there probably is out there. I've spoken with Butch a few times on, on different types of things. But let's say that, you know, um, Cameron and, and Jordan go up to see Butch. They're up in Vegas, spend a couple of days, do whatever it's going to do, however that went down. If Butch Harmon tells Jordan Spieth, yes, you know what? Cameron McCormick is right. I'm seeing the same thing. I like what he's working with you guys on. You're not far away. Keep doing it. In Jordan Spieth's mind, that is the seal of approval, not only on the work that he's done, but also to the person who's giving him the coaching. It's just one I think that he has the utmost respect and faith in Cameron McCormick. But it can do nothing but more positive things if somebody like Butch Harmon reaffirms everything that McCormick is telling him. It just solidifies that relationship even more. If he hears something different, if there's a dialogue between the three of them and they're all on the same page based off of whatever happened or didn't happen, we, we weren't there. We don't know. But there's a couple of really positive ways that that can go without Jordan Spieth leaving Cameron McCormick and all of a sudden getting you know into the stable of, of, um, of Butch Harmon. And Butch has made it pretty clear um, he's not interested in taking on the life on the road anymore. For the most part, he's not out there at week-to-week PGA Tour events. I think he does some very, very small number of things. I don't still know if he's doing broadcasts with Sky or not. I, I think he is, but I don't know that. Um, but he had been trying to ratchet down his schedule. Um, Jordan Spieth is a guy who I would assume, unless you know circumstances change, and certainly we know that they can these days, he's going to play 23, 25, 27 events. He plays a lot of golf, and he's looking to try and get himself back up in the world rankings. He needs to play a lot of golf. So I don't think that this is something that's we're going to see Jordan Spieth and Butch Harmon out on tour together anytime soon. But I think it could be a really positive thing in the relationship if, if Harmon does reaffirm to Spieth that, yeah, everything you're working on is right. What If I were working with you, I'd be hitting the same things. I'd be telling you the same kind of stuff. We might be using different words. But, yeah, I believe in it. I, I think it could be something that could strengthen their relationship. Um, looking ahead towards this week, Sony open in Hawaii, wildlife country club, Honolulu. The field is not quite as stout, not quite as top heavy as what we saw at Kapalua. Cameron Smith is our defending champion. Adam Scott, Colin Morikawa, Webb Simpson, Patrick Reed. Now Harris English scheduled to be playing this week. Um, you know, it's, it's a fun tournament. I like watching this tournament, but the biggest thing for me when I see this shoot is the contrast between what we just saw at Kapalua at the plantation course and what we see at Wailai, which is a classic shot makers, wind is going to play a lot of uh, a factor in this, flat like a pancake. Which course do you prefer? Would you, if you were going on a Hawaii trip and you can only play one, do you play the plantation course or do you play Wailai? Well, plantation is just, the, the, it's just an eye candy. You know, that is, it is just one of the most beautiful spots for a golf course in the world. And uh, I, I think I would pick that one. Wiley's got, you know, the, the W, palm mm. trees. But other than that, the rest of the imagery, you know, you feel like you could almost be in Florida. Um, I, I think, I think 
it's just kind of next level at 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 Kapalua. Yeah, uh, that that's a spot I, I long to get back to. Actually, the one time I went out there, they were doing construction on the plantation, so I have never played it. Never played it, so it's still kind of one I need to check off. Um, I need to check off the entire state. I've never been to Hawaii. I have never made it over. Um, my wife has been three times. And so as we're planning out family vacations and this and that, she's like, oh, I don't want to go to Hawaii. And my kids and I look at each other. It's like, well, hold on a second. So we don't want to go to like some of the most beautiful beaches in the world. We don't want to go traipsing off into like rainforesty safari things to waterfalls and pools. We don't want to go to these like gorgeous hotels and eat, you know, all, all the good sushi and all this. We don't, we don't want that. We're sure about that. We don't, we're sure we don't want that. Sounds pretty good to me. I realize it's a hell of a long way across the country and across an ocean, but um, I have yet to, to tick off Hawaii. I really would love to go. I've never had the chance. And um, yeah, I'd love to play it over. To me, when I look at the plantation course, it's the course that I, I would build basically on PlayStation. Like that's the kind of thing like, okay, let's, let's put a rope swing here. Let's do this. Let's have this 18th hole be about a 400 foot nosedive with a hundred yard wide fairways. Um, it looks great seeing the, the humpback whales breaching and, and all that kind of the surfers, but um, maybe someday we'll be able to peg it up there. That would be a nice thing. I would look forward to uh, look forward to doing that. What have you got on the docket coming uh, on golfweek.com this week, shoot? Well, I'm going to help out on the Sony coverage, but I'm actually getting excited to, to get back out on tour next week when the tour comes back to the mainland at the American Express, and I'm going to head out early to uh, to San Diego ahead of time and uh, do a little U.S. Open previewing and make my way over to Torrey Pines. Mm. going to play Torrey Pines north and south and uh, pretty excited yep. about that. It's been a long time since I played out there and with the U.S. Open coming in June to, to the south, um, feel mm-hmm. like it's time to get back out and, 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 and check that out, play some other golf home out there. Maybe Aviara just had a fresh offer renovation and I'm um, going get to some, get some rounds yep. in and then make my way to the American Express. I have played those courses. Uh, which do you prefer to play, the south or the north uh, at Torrey? I think I, you know, I think I like the north better just because it doesn't beat you up as much. Yeah, that is the correct answer. The views are every bit as good. Um, obviously, the the history, etc., with U.S. Open two thousand and eight with Tiger winning over Rocco Mediate is the south course. The north course, which is significantly easier for the pros, is also easier on you, my friends. And that means that you get all those great views, all that fun, and you don't get basically hit upside the head with a haymaker every other hole. I love the north course. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, it is one of the prettiest places that you know you can get out there for public access golf. It's great. It's pricey as an out-of-stater, but if you've never played it, um, yeah, it's a really, really fun. It's a good time. I like Aviara. I've played that a bunch. I've, I've had a chance to play La Costa several times um, and some other places that, that are out that way. Enjoy your trip out there. Be safe. And uh, thanks a lot for coming on the Ford Press once again, Adam. Anytime. Good talking with you. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. 
Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.